This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. So glad that all of you came and worshiped tonight. God's good, isn't he? The Bible says, it says that times of refreshing would come in God's presence. And I don't know about you, but anytime I'm, I'm in the presence of God, especially with other believers, I get refreshed. And we need refreshing right now in our lives, don't we? Hey, would you turn your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8? For those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Evan. My name is Evan Havens. I'm the associate pastor here at the church. Pastor Stormy and Shelly are already in Rio Doso. They're already getting prepared and ready for the marriage retreat, which is tomorrow. Who's going to the marriage retreat? Got a few of you in here. There they are. There they are. We're excited, uh, but they're already there. And so I'll be speaking to you tonight, and I count it a privilege and an honor to get to speak into your lives. And I pray that the Lord speaks to you directly from the word tonight. Before we do that, we're going to take up today's tithes and offerings. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 12. While I'm saying this, there are multiple ways for for you to give into the house today. You can give by texting. It's really easy. You just text whatever amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can drop an envelope that you got when you came in at any one of the boxes around the exits of the room. And you can also give online at faithchurchlubbock.com. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, it says, whatever you give, everybody say whatever. It's acceptable if you give it eagerly or cheerfully or with a happy heart. And give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Now, I want to challenge you with this today. Don't ever let the excuse, I don't have enough to give or I can't afford to give, Don't ever let that excuse keep you from obeying the Lord in the area of giving. Because it says very clearly right here, you're not judged according to what you don't have. You're judged according to what you do have. And the Bible talks about giving as a percentage or bringing your tithe, the tenth, into the storehouse. See, a tenth for somebody that makes $100 a week is a lot different than a tenth for somebody that makes a million dollars a week. But in God's eyes, it's the same because he's called us to give according to what we do have. So don't get discouraged when you think, man, I really wanna be giving away cars and I wanna be giving away houses. I wanna be blessing people, but all I can afford is to put $10 in the offering plate. Well, you know what? You're judged according to what you do have, not according to what you don't have. The Bible says, he who is faithful with little will be given charge over much. So don't let the excuse, I don't have enough to give, because you do have enough to be obedient to God with what you have. And that's all he asks us to do, is to be obedient with what we have. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you judge us fairly, that you've given each one of us blessings and that you've taken care of us. And I thank you, God, that you've called us to give according to what we have. We ask that your grace, that you would help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, a couple things I wanna let you know about. You saw it on the screen. This is really exciting for us, but the Men of Iron Conference is right here in this church this year. They wanted to move it to Texas because New Mexico is still very restricted right now with coronavirus, and we're blessed to live in Texas where we can be safe but still be able to come and meet together as a church, and so it's gonna be right here in this building. You can register this year. It's only $30, 
So they've lowered the price significantly, and you can register at faithchurchlubbock.com. It's right there on the homepage. You'll see the link to get registered. Make sure you do get registered. Uh, we don't have as many spots as we usually do, and so we want every man from our church to be able to come, all right? You can also still register for the XO Marriage Retreat. If you're like, I randomly have the weekend off and I don't have anything else to do and I really wanna come to the marriage retreat, you can still register. Uh, we'll have that open through tonight. So you can see us right out here at this table if you'd like to go to the XO Marriage Retreat. Okay, let's get into the word. Today is February the 10th and you know that February is like the love month. February 14th, this Sunday is Valentine's Day. I'm really excited that Valentine's Day is on a Sunday this year. Uh, but we get to celebrate love this month. Now, for some people, it's like Singles Awareness Month. I get that. I was single for a long time. Uh, but this month is all about love, and we kind of focus on love. And you see every, all the stores change their decorations to red and pink hearts. And it's just kind of on our minds and on our hearts. And I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us tonight about the kind of love that he gives us and about the kind of love that he asks us to give to others, okay? So if you've heard me speak before, you know I'm like the three-point message guy, uh, but today I have two points, so I'm gonna make it a little bit easier for us, okay? So we're gonna learn about the love of God. In the Bible, the, the word love is mentioned hundreds of times. It's a constant theme in the Bible, and actually it goes so far as to say that God is love. But I think that's hard for us to understand sometimes. God is love. Because we say in America that we love a lot of things. I love your purse. I love your coat. I love pizza. I love my pets. I love my dog. I love my cat. And then we say things like, I love my kids. We say, I love my wife or my husband. And then we, we tell God, God, I love you. And you gotta think, the, the word love can't mean the same thing for us to say, I love you, God, as it does for us to say, I love you, pizza. Right, there's gotta be something to the word love that we need to understand because if God says that he is love, that can't be, he's the same thing as when somebody loves pizza, right? And so we need to figure out what's the difference here? How does that word love operate in God's perspective? Now, the New Testament in the Bible, it was written in the Greek language. And so in order to kind of get some insight on this, we need to look at the Greek language. In the Bible, the word love is used a ton of times. It's translated into love, one, one English word. But there's actually four words in Greek that we translate into love. And they are, the first one is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. That type of love is family love or affectionate love. That'd be like the kind of love that you give to your kids or that you give to your parents, that you give to your grandparents. It's familial love. It's, it's affectionate, but not romantic. Then there's the type of love called eros, E-R-O-S. This is romantic love. This is the kind of love shared between husband and wife. That's what that means. Then there's a type of love called philia. It's P-H-I-L-I-A. And this type of love is brotherly love. This is like when you come into church and you give the old like side hug pat and you're like, love you, man. That's brotherly love. See, we're, we are the body of Christ and we love each other as brothers and sisters. But then there's one more type of love. And this type of love is called agape love, A-G-A-P-E. Now, in Greek, the word agape love, it's translated into charitable love. And you think of charity, if you give to a charity, what do you expect back? Nothing. 
When you give to a charity, now some, some people have skewed this and they give to charity so they get recognition and they're like, oh, I'm amazing. I just gave a million dollars to Miracle for Life, you know. Uh, but in, in the true sense of the word, you give to a charity not, respecting anything, not expecting anything in return. That's what charitable love is. A better translation of charitable love is unconditional love. I want you to think about the word unconditional. What do you think it means? Without conditions. It's easy, right? Unconditional love, love without conditions. But if I look it up in the dictionary, there's actually another definition of unconditional. So of course it means there's no conditions, but it also means without limits. So this type of love, agape love, is unconditional love, it's unlimited love. It's love without strings attached. You see, oftentimes, like with our pets, we love our pets when they provide something for us or, or when they are behaving in a way that we would like for them to behave. But that's not what this is about at all. Agape love is love without strings attached. And I wanna illustrate this with a story in scripture. So turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. So if God, if his love is agape love, if his love to us is unconditional, unlimited, no strings attached, sometimes that's hard for us to receive because it's not the way that we love others oftentimes. I'll love you as long as you, you know, fill in the blank. And we may not say that out of our mouth, but it's what we mean in our hearts. And so Luke chapter 15 this story that Jesus told, I think it perfectly illustrates unconditional love. Now we're gonna start in Luke 15, verse 11. So this says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Now, I wanna teach you something about studying scripture, okay? Because I believe that all of us should be studying scripture on our own, diving into the word and figuring out what the Lord has for us there. And when this says, to illustrate the point further, Oftentimes we skip over those types of things. But there's obviously a point he was trying to illustrate. And so how do we know what that point is? Well, we've gotta look at the context. The context of the chapter or the context of the book. And so to find the context of what Jesus is talking about here, we're gonna go back up to verse one. So Luke 15, verse one. And I love this, it says, it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. And that's the point that Jesus is illustrating. It doesn't matter if you're a sinful person. It doesn't matter if you're a notorious sinner. It doesn't matter if you are the scum of society. Jesus is coming to eat with you and he's coming to be with you and he's coming to hang out with you and show you his love. And so that's the context of this story. And again, in verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, the point that Jesus doesn't care who you are, what you're like, he just loves you. It says he told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate or your inheritance now before you die. Now, if you read like the footnotes in your Bible, if you have a study Bible, it probably says something about how that would have been a real slap to the face to his father back in Jewish custom. It would have basically been like the son saying to his father, listen, I wish you were dead. I want my money now. 
Whatever you were gonna give me in your will, just give it to me now. And so this would have been something that was very degrading to the father, very hurtful to him. And at the end of verse 12, it says, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So you can imagine that this guy, he goes off to, in, in our context, he goes to Las Vegas and he, he gambles all of his money away and he, he has all these crazy parties and he does all of these things and it says he was living a wild lifestyle. He wasted all of his inheritance with wild living. He probably had a whole bunch of friends when he got there because he was rich. He was loaded and he was throwing all these parties but then his money ran out and we'll see here in just a second that none of his new friends are anywhere to be found. So his money runs out, famine sweeps over the land, and he began to starve. Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, if you know Jewish custom, you know that they're not allowed to raise swine. They're not allowed to touch swine. They're not allowed to eat bacon, ham, anything that comes from pig. Pigs are considered unclean to, it, to Jews. And so this would have been an extremely degrading thing for him to go and get, this is the only job he could find was a job with a pig farmer. And it would have been very degrading for him as a Jew. It says the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything. He wanted to eat the pig slop. When he finally came to his senses, and we're gonna go back to that in a little bit, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, he realizes, and he came to his senses, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done, that I messed up, that I slapped my dad in the face, and I degraded him, and I went and wasted everything he provided for me, and now I'm gonna have to go back begging at his door to be a servant. He didn't view himself as his father's son anymore. He viewed himself as, as worthless. But look at the father's response. In verse 20, this is where it gets exciting. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now, can you imagine what the son was thinking? I slapped my dad in the face, took his money, went and wasted all of it in wild living, lost everything that I had, and here I am groveling and begging, back, coming back to my dad's house. And I can't even imagine what he thought his dad was thinking, what he thought his dad was going to do, how he thought his dad would respond. But it says, but his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, he completely ignores his son. His son says, dad, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And the dad says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Some translations say, bring my robe. 
Bring my robe and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger that represented the authority of his father's house. And get sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. So his son goes off and parties, wastes everything. And what does the father do when he comes home begging? The son comes home, I imagine his clothes were torn and, and worn out. And he probably stunk. And he probably had pig slop all over him. And as he's coming, instead of being judgmental, instead of being critical, instead of saying things like, see, I told you so, his father ran to him. And he embraced him and he kissed him and he put his own robe on him. And he gave him the ring that represented the authority of their family name. He killed the fattened calf and he threw a real party for his son. And he had his friends over to celebrate that his son was home. And this, this is a picture. It's a story that Jesus told to illustrate the father's love for us. Because I don't know about you, but that verse says when the son was still a long way off, I've been a long way off from God. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was four years old and I got baptized when I was four years old. And since then, there have been times that I've been far from God, where I've made choices in my life that have separated me from, from God because of sin in my own life, sin in my own heart. I've been just like the prodigal son, where I've said, God, thank you for the blessings, but I'm gonna go spend what you've given me over here. And I've been far from God, but I also know what it's like to come back and humbly repent to him and to have my father embrace me with a heavenly embrace. See, that's unconditional love. You can't do anything to take your sonship away. You can't do anything to stop being a child of God. Just like this son, he thought his sonship was over. He thought he was just worthy to be called a servant. But his father said, no, I'm putting my robe on you. I'm putting my ring on your finger. You are my son. Unconditional love. I want you to turn to Romans chapter five. Next book you'll come to after Luke is John and then Acts and then Romans. You're pretty close. Romans chapter five, we're gonna go to verse eight. I've heard this said and I, I love this statement and it might be cliche by now but I still think it's great. So you may have taken a thousand steps away from God but you're only one step from being back with him. All you have to do, just like the son, come to your senses and make the decision to turn towards him and then your father's gonna run to greet you. Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ for us while we were still sinners. That's how we know that God's love is unconditional. Because when, when I was a screw up, when I was making a mess of my life, when I was living every day, sinning on purpose, missing the mark, walking in addictions in my own life, he still loved me while I was a sinner. And some people have this thought that, well, I, I, I wanna turn to God and I, and I wanna live for him, but I gotta clean up what's going on here first because what people don't see is that inside here it's a mess, right? But that's not how it works. If you could clean up your own life and make yourself pure and clean and whole, then you wouldn't need Jesus. 
but oh, we need Jesus. And this says that God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from him, while we still had our face turned away from him, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. He sent his only son to die for us, to reconcile our relationship with him, to heal our relationship, to mend our relationship. That's what he's done for you and that's what he's done for me. And this verse spells it out clearly that God's love for you and for me is unconditional. There are no strings attached. There are no conditions, no limits. His love, he offers it freely as a gift, even while we're still sinners. That's good, isn't it? Turn just a couple pages to Romans 8. You know, like I said earlier, the son, the prodigal son, he felt like that he couldn't be a son anymore. He felt like the choices that he made made it to where he, he maybe could go back and be close to his father as a servant, but that he could never be called a son again. Look at Romans chapter eight. We're gonna start the last two verses in the chapter, verse 38. And this is Paul talking. He says, and I am convinced. I am assured. I'm fully convinced, some versions say, that nothing, everybody say nothing, Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing you do can separate you from God's love. Nothing that you say can separate you from God's love. Nothing that is done to you can separate you from God's love. Nothing that is said about you can separate you from God's love. Nothing. And I love that it says, not even the angels or the demons. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are eternally secured in the love of God. The Bible says that his, his perfect love casts out all fear. And in this passage, it says, not even our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. See, we may not be able to trust God fully, that he has us in the palm of his hands, that he knows us and has our life that he knows every day that we're gonna live, all the days ordained for us were written in his book, but he still loves us. Unconditional love, unlimited love. That's what he's given to each and every one of us. But sometimes you feel like, and I feel like, that can't be true of me. Maybe someone else, but, but not me. But this says, it's for all of us. Nothing can separate you from God's love. He loves you with all of his heart. So much so, and that's what at the end of this verse it says, the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means that God showed us that he loved us by sending Jesus. It means he, he put his money where his mouth is. He doesn't just tell us that he loves us. He sent his only son to live a perfect sinless life and be beaten and bruised and scarred 
and killed the death that you and I deserve to die. And he sent his son to do that for one purpose, so that you and I could live in eternity with him. So that our relationship that was broken by sin and the mistakes that we've made could be restored and mended and that now we can walk in security in God's love. That's how much he loves us. That's the love that's revealed in Christ Jesus. So the son, he made a decision to leave, the prodigal son. He chose to walk away from his father's house. He chose to take his father's inheritance. Those are choices he made. But even still, the moment he turned back home, the father ran to him. See, I have a privilege of getting to understand this a little bit better than I used to be able to. I've always had a hard time knowing that God loves me that much. And I've always felt when I've made mistakes and when I've turned my back on God and when I've walked in seasons of my life far away from him, I've had a hard time knowing that he loved me. I've had a hard time not thinking he must be so angry with me and mad at me and having that shame and that guilt until I became a father. And my daughter's very strong-willed. I think I've told this story before, but she's a very strong-willed little girl. She, she wants things her way and she'll go get it. And I know that the Lord has an incredible purpose for her. She'll even, my, my parents for Christmas, they took her to find homeless people on the street and they had her bring them a gift and write a, a card for them. And she went right up to those people and handed them a gift that had like some gift cards and some food and gloves and things. And she had written, it was scribble, I have no idea what it said, neither do they. But that she gave them this, this gift and she was so bold about it. So I know those are the types of things the Lord's doing in her, but on the parenting side, life can be challenging and life can be difficult. Does anybody else have a strong-willed child? And you're like, I know, okay, good, There's, that's not just me. These types of children are hard to raise, but God gives us grace, right? One time, my daughter had this day, and I know all kids have days, but this was a day. I sometimes refer to this day as the day from hell. She just, everything she did was the exact opposite that I had told her to do. I mean, I, would even, I remember this day, she, had, she was on the couch standing up. We don't let her do that. So I said, Ellie, sit down on the couch. Do not jump on the couch. She looked at me straight in my eyes and did this. So we had discipline and discipline and discipline. She racked up so many spankings that day. It was unbelievable. And at the end of the day, I'm putting her to bed. And I always, you know, read the Bible to her and we pray together and I sing to her this whole routine. I remember doing that with her that night after she had just like ripped my heart out all day and made it so frustrating. I mean, I was just, I was ready to put her in bed. I was pretty done. Like it's time for daddy time, right? But I remember reading the Bible to her and praying with her and singing to her. And I looked down at her and after the day from hell, I realized that I loved that little girl the exact same amount as I did on the days where I come home from work and she runs up to me and says, Daddy, I missed you, and gives me this big hug. My love didn't change. Now, sure, I was frustrated with her, but I realized in that moment, wait a second, I love my daughter because she's my daughter. I don't love my daughter because of what she does. I love her because of who she is and because she's mine. And the, and the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, that's how I feel about you. That's what that verse means. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. The things we do, the choices we make, the way that we act, 
Yes, God is working in us and he's giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And we're not perfect yet. And we still make mistakes. And we jump on the bed when he tells us not to. But nothing can separate you from God's love. So the first thing that we have to realize is that you are loved by God. But you have to get to a place to where you can receive that love. Get to a place where you understand, you know what? I've made mistakes, I've messed up, and I'm trying to be better, but God loves me. And there's nothing that can separate me from that love. You have to view yourself through God's eyes as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. That's the first step. And some people have a hard time with that. I I shared, I had a hard time knowing that God loved me even when I made mistakes. But I've seen it more clearly now. God loves you. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you say, he loves you. And that brings us to the second thing that we have to do. Turn to the book of John, chapter 13. And in the book of John, chapter 13, these are gonna be the words of Jesus. John 13, 34. So again, the first thing we have to understand is that God has unconditional love for us. He unconditionally loves me and you. Without limits, without conditions, no strings attached. And so in verse 34 of John 13, it says, so now I'm giving you a new command. Remember, this is Jesus talking to us. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Verse 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When you read this, this verse in, in Greek, if you, look, there's, there's, if you look in the King James Bible, you can see it laid out by different words and it'll tell you what those words are in Greek. Every single time the word love is used in this verse, it's the Greek word agape. Remember, agape means unconditional love. And so let's read it again with that in mind, that every time we hear the word love, we're gonna put in unconditional love. It says, now I'm giving you a new commandment, unconditionally love who? Each other. It says, just as I have unconditionally loved you, you should unconditionally love each other. Your unconditional love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That makes it a little more challenging, doesn't it? You see, I would have assumed that this was talking about philea, brotherly love, but that's not the word he used. And if we look at the context, Jesus is saying, you know the same way I loved you? You know how I came to the the world and I died, I humbled myself, and I gave my life for you unconditionally while you were still sinners, and you know that kind of love where there's nothing that can separate you from it? Just as I loved you, you love each other. And when you love each other that way, the world will know you're my disciples. And right now, the world we live in, people need to know who the disciples of Jesus are. And we need to shine bright the light. Jesus says we're the light and we're the salt. We need to unconditionally love each other. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you love us. And everyone will know your disciples. So let me ask you a question. Grade yourself, rate yourself. How do you do walking in love towards someone that you don't agree with? 
Jesus walked in love towards someone he didn't agree with. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? When Jesus was teaching and Mary was sitting at his feet and Martha was, was making dinner and cleaning the house and doing all these chores and she got really frustrated and she said, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus looked at her and with love in his heart, he said, Martha, Mary's figured out the best thing and that's not gonna be taken away from her. He disagreed with her while still loving her. So can you do that? Can you walk in love towards somebody that's wronged you? And if I say that, you probably can think of somebody and their, their face may come up in your mind. Somebody that's wronged you. And maybe they really wronged you. Jesus did. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, he said Father, forgive them. You know who he was talking about? The ones that were killing him. The ones that were beating him. The son of God. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus walked in love towards people who had wronged him. What about this? Can you walk in love towards somebody who is viewed as unlovable? Maybe it's a, a family member that nobody likes. Maybe it's someone at your, at your job, at your workplace, and they're just unlovable. Jesus did. Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had no friends at all, no community, no, no people to be around. He had to climb up in a tree just to see Jesus. But Jesus recognized him and called him out and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And just that statement, that statement of love that said, I see you and I wanna be with you, completely turned Zacchaeus' life around. And he said, you wanna come to my house? He said, I, I'm gonna pay back four times what I've stolen from the poor and I'm gonna stop taking money that I shouldn't take. I'm gonna be honest from here on out. Jesus never mentioned those things. He didn't point him out and say, hey, you've been stealing from the poor. All he said was, I'm going to your house today. And that act of love turns Ikea's heart around. So what about us? Can we love somebody that's unlovable? Can we love somebody that's wronged us? Can we love somebody that we don't agree with? And we have to be very careful in our society right now because our society is filled with people who love with conditions and who love with limits. I'll love you up to this point, but after you cross this line, it's over. But Jesus didn't do that. And he called us to break down the limits, to break down the conditions, and just to love each other. You know, there's a lot of animosity towards our president and towards our previous president. And there's people that don't agree with what he's doing. There's people that don't agree with what our previous president did. Can you love our president, whether you agree with him or not? Can you honor and respect him? Can you pray for him, that God would touch his heart and lead him and guide him? Or can you get on Facebook and talk about how terrible he is and talk about how stupid he is and how his decisions and the things that he's, he's doing. Are, do you see? Sure, we can disagree with him. And sure, we can pray that God would touch his heart and would change his heart and would send godly counsel. But while you're doing those things, can you love him? Can you love him as a man? Because God does. God loves him unconditionally. What about that, that person at work? Every single time you go, you dread growing, going because you know you're gonna see him. Can you love them? 
See, we're called to love unconditionally. And what about that person that, that abused you your whole life? What about that person that said things about you that caused damage and pain and hurt? And you love them. Not that you have to be their best friend. Not that you have to put yourself in situations that are dangerous to you, no. But can you love them unconditionally? So I want to just take a couple of, of minutes and let's just be the church tonight. So if you would stand up to your feet. Pastor Solomon, are you in here? No, no. Do you mind just playing uh, something from the prayer playlist, Mandy? That'd be great. And just real quick, I'm not gonna keep you long at all. I'm gonna let you go really soon. If you would say, Pastor, I've, I've had trouble understanding how much God loves me. And I wanna feel the embrace of my heavenly father. Would you just lift up your hand? If you would say, either the way that I viewed myself, I just, I know I've made mistakes. I'm, I, my hand is up. I've had trouble at times realizing how much God loves me. I'm gonna pray for you, and if, and if those of you that are around them, if you'd reach out your hands towards them, if you're close enough, just lay your hand on the shoulder. Father, I pray for every one of these that have their hands up. God, you love us unconditionally, but we have to receive that love by faith, so I pray that you fill my brothers and sisters with faith to believe and to know that you love them, that there is nothing no height, nor depth, nor angel, nor demon. Nothing on earth, nothing in hell, nothing in heaven can ever separate them from your love, God. God, I pray that they be able to receive your love right now. Just like the prodigal son, that he returned home expecting to be called a servant or a slave, and his father called him a son. Lord, would you put the anointing of sonship and daughtership on your people tonight? That we are your children that you love us unconditionally. And just in that atmosphere of prayer, if, if the second thing that we talked about resonated with you and, and you would say, honestly, I have trouble loving other people. I, I have trouble walking in unconditional love towards others. Would you lift your hand up and we're gonna pray for you as well. Again, if you're, if you're around them, would you stretch your hands towards them? We're just gonna be the church tonight. We're gonna love each other and pray for each other. You may not struggle with, with loving others, but you struggle in something else. And so this isn't to shame anybody. It's just to say, hey, let's, let's be more like Jesus. So if that's you, if you say, I need, I need help being able to love others, lift up your hands, we're gonna pray. Father, you've called us to love others like you love us. And God, that's such a high calling because you love us unconditionally and you love us so perfectly. So help us by your grace. Grace us, God, to love other people unconditionally. Grace us, God, to love people who have wronged us. Grace us, God, to love people that we don't agree with. Grace us, God, to love people who are unlovable. Grace us to show unconditional love, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our families, in our workplaces, with our friends, in this church building, everywhere that we go, help us to be the light, help us to be the salt that you've called us to be. And that by our unconditional love for each other, that everyone would know that we're your disciples. 
God, grace us to love people. Grace us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Grace us to love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.